Yep, so we're in John chapter 15, verse 26. Um, That's on page 1084. Great. Um, Starting at 15, John 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a sacrifice to God. They'll do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this, that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, who, wh- where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you and he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it was from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pauline, uh, for reading for us. Um, when, I, uh, when I had children were younger, they're not younger now, uh, but when they were little, um, every now and again, uh, there'd be a reason why Beth was going away, my wife was going away, conference or something. Um, and um, on those occasions, uh, she would supply me um, with, with what really amounted to a, to a small book um, of instructions um, about what needed to happen while she was away. Um, It was all there. Um, The the, the food that they needed to eat, where it was and how to cook it. Uh, The the things they would need in their school bags in the morning. Uh, When and where the after-school clubs were and and what needed picking up. Um, The the medicine that our youngest needed to take in the evening, how much and when. Uh, What their bedtimes were. It was all just on and on and on it went. Page after page after page uh, of of these details instructions. Um, And Beth, it seemed, was utterly determined that I might survive the week. Actually, I think probably she was utterly determined that the children might survive the week. I think it's probably more accurate um, now I come to think about it. Um, Well, I guess maybe uh, you can see just a little of that here in this section of John's Gospel. Um, Because what we have is Jesus preparing his followers for his absence. Uh, The mood is distinctly gloomy. We've we've seen that over and over again. Um, 
Uh, if there's much that is confusing for Jesus' disciples at this point, the one thing that is clear is that he's going, and they are going to be left alone. Where he's going, they cannot follow, uh, and uh, they must now uh, operate uh, without him. Um, and because of that, uh, Jesus wants to be very clear about what they can expect. Um, and uh, I want to think with this section, which is a pretty somber section, isn't it? Um, I want to think uh, about this section through four headings. They're on the back of that postcard if they help, um, but I'll highlight them as we go through. So four things, I think, that Jesus says uh, his followers can expect. First, the persecution that they will face. Uh, if, you, if you flip back, if you've still got the Bible open on page 1084, if you flip back over the page, actually, you'll see that we are in the midst of a section talking all about persecution and difficulty. Um, we were looking at this passage this morning. Um, you'll see it there, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Uh, the middle of verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's pretty strong and clear uh, that persecution um, is coming. Um, and then at the beginning of chapter 16, uh, over the page, um, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Uh, this past Easter Sunday, uh, you will remember, uh, 253 people uh, were killed in coordinated bombings in Sri Lanka. Uh, the first three bombs to explode were all in churches. Uh, the first two uh, in Roman Catholic churches, um, and then the third in an evangelical church. Um, sometimes, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's just me, sometimes I find it very hard to relate to these events. You, know, you see them on the news, you read of them in the papers, but it feels like a long way away, it's hard to connect. To, to feel the awfulness of it. Um, but then, I can't remember what it was, a, a week, ten days later, um, a, an email arrived in my uh, inbox, um, forwarded from um, uh, a colleague down at Oak Hill, uh, the, the Bible College um, in North London. And he was forwarding an email from the principal of uh, the Bible College in Colombo, um, in the Sri Lankan capital. And it turned out that uh, this Evangelical Bible College in Colombo um, had students studying with them uh, who were on placement at Zion Church, the third of the churches, uh, to be bombed. And, and then suddenly I was reading a kind of first-hand account uh, of the things that took place. Apparently, uh, the bomber entered... Uh, with the bomb in his rucksack uh, and walked into the middle of the church building uh, but was noticed by Ramesh uh, who was one of the Bible College students. Um, Ramesh had just finished teaching a Sunday school class uh, and uh, had um, led his children uh, that he'd been teaching out into the compound outside uh, for them to run around and play a bit while they were waiting for the service to finish. 
Well, the bomber entered into the church building uh, and was acting strangely. Ramesh approached him, took him by the hand and led him out into the compound to try and find out uh, why he'd come and who'd invited him to the service. Uh, it was just at that point uh, that the bomber detonated uh, his explosives. Uh, Ramesh's actions meant that many within the main building were saved. It also meant that many of those who died were the children that he had led out to the compound just previously. Uh, Ramesh himself also died. 16 of the 27 who died instantly were children. Uh, the email ended like this. During Sunday school, Ramesh had talked to the children about the importance of repentance and receiving Jesus as Lord. Because a recent car accident had claimed the lives of six Zion church members, Ramesh had referred to that event and challenged the children, asking them if they would be willing to even die for Jesus. All the children had responded by putting their hands up and signaled their fresh dedication to Jesus by lighting a symbolic candle. For many of those children, it would be their final act of worship. The time is coming, Jesus tells us in this passage, when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Jesus tells us to expect these things. And he tells us in advance so that when they happen, we won't be bewildered and overcome, wondering if God is really there after all. Now, he tells us these things in advance so that when they happen, our faith in a strange way might even be strengthened because he has warned us and told us that this is how it will be. So first, the persecution you will face. Not yet, at this time, the persecution of bombs for us uh, in the UK. Um, but we are becoming increasingly aware, aren't we? Even our politicians in this country are becoming increasingly aware of the scale of persecution worldwide uh, against Christian believers. Uh, David uh, Todd this morning uh, was saying that uh, one report he'd looked at uh, said the figures are now 300 Christian believers being murdered each month around the world um, because of their faith. So, the persecution you will face. And then secondly, the witness you must be. Uh, top of the page, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning it's a striking combination there isn't it you, you get first the idea that the, the holy spirit will testify he will be a revealer of truth he will make jesus known but even so even though the holy spirit himself is going to do this revealing activity uh, of uh, uh, of god to the people jesus tells his disciples that they must also testify uh, because they've been with him from the beginning. Uh, 
A time is coming, Jesus says, where, where he won't be around, no longer speaking in the synagogues, teaching in the temple courts, uh, uh, talking to crowds uh, out in Palestine. And because he won't be there, they will, they will acquire the task uh, of speaking for him, to telling the world who he is and what he has done. But even as they testify, the Holy Spirit also testifies. Now, occasionally, I think, um, the Holy Spirit uh, does his work kind of directly, uh, dramatically into an individual's life. But more normally, I think, the way that the Holy Spirit brings about that test testimony about Jesus is through our testimony. The, the two sort of weave together, as it were. We testify, and the Holy Spirit takes and uses uh, uh, the testimony that we make uh, about Jesus. And I had this most excellent illustration for that. Uh, and so what, what, what I thought was um, that it's a bit like the stained glass window behind me. Because at some point, um, some people planned uh, this stained glass window. They, they designed it, and they cut the glass, uh, and they constructed it. They, it was their sort of representation uh, of Jesus. And it's all there. Um, you've got the birth uh, and uh, the, the teaching of Jesus uh, over on uh, your left. Um, and then you've got the, um, uh, the resurrection uh, and the resurrection of Pyrrhus on the road to Emmaus uh, on your right. And then in the middle... Uh, the cross of Christ and his ascension uh, up the middle. Uh, it's all there, the, the story of Jesus represented. But had it been the middle of winter, and when I was conceiving this, I thought this would work, um, in the dark, you couldn't see it. Unfortunately, you can, because it's light outside. But, so I had this great plan um, that I was going to flick on the light, because there's a spotlight outside. Um, and in the winter... Uh, when it's dark at this sort of time of night, um, you, you really can't see the window. You can't see the story at all. But flick on the floodlight outside, and suddenly uh, blazes uh, into vision, and you can see it all. So, so just imagine that happening. Um, and you can see the point. The, the story is told. Human people, um, the stained glass designers and constructors, put it together. They did it, but it requires the light shining through it to illuminate it. Well, it's a bit like that. We speak, uh, but the work of the Holy Spirit takes uh, what we say uh, and gives it light, makes it understandable so that it can be known. Now, th th that's a great thing, isn't it? It makes, it makes us realize that if you're a Christian believer um, and if you talk to others... Um, about the Christian faith, you're not doing it on your own. It's not just you. But as you speak, and you're fumbling words, um, and you're not quite sure you're getting it quite right, it doesn't depend upon you. The Holy Spirit takes even our clumsy words and uses them. In other words, you don't need to be wonderfully persuasive um, and uh, brilliantly clever. Just speak of Christ. Speak of what you know. Speak of what he has done in your life. Uh, and the Holy Spirit takes and uses that testimony and uses it to bring knowledge of Christ into the world, into the people around us. 
So the persecution you will face, the witness you must be. And then thirdly, the advocate you will have. And you, you can catch from the language um, here um, at, uh, at the top, verse 26, um, and again down there in verse 7. It's a sort of legal language, the advocate, someone who speaks on your behalf um, in, uh, in a courtroom, maybe. Uh, and there's a bit of a shift uh, as the passage works through, because initially you get the flavor that the, the advocate is kind of speaking for the defense, helping you with your testimony um, as you speak in the midst of persecution. Um, but move down here, um, and uh, a shift seems to have taken place. Um, now the Holy Spirit is, is more like a prosecuting counsel, proving people to be in the wrong, kind of persuading them that they haven't got stuff right. Um, you see that in verse 8. When he comes, when the advocate, the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. It sounds a little bit odd at first, doesn't it? Um, perhaps you feel that. Proving somebody wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What, what exactly does that mean? Um, and I was trying to come up with, um, with, with some way of making sense of that um, during these past few days. Um, and hadn't done very well. And then uh, David Todd this morning came up with a brilliant illustration, uh, which I shall now steal. Um, and even if you heard it this morning, it'll, it'll still help. Um, you'll see why. Um, David was saying, is imagine, imagine you're out camping and uh, you, are, you, you have above you a, a big sort of tarpaulin sheet um, uh, which is sort of protecting you. Um, and uh, the rain's coming down, um, but you're not getting wet because uh, the tarpaulin's there. And in fact, it's such a thick tarpaulin that you can't even hear the rain. So you're completely unaware uh, of the rain as it falls because you're dry and secure under the tarpaulin. Uh, but the rain keeps falling uh, and the water gathers on the top of the tarpaulin above you. Um, more and more and more until there are hundreds of gallons uh, there above your head. And at some point, the tarpaulin's going to give way and that water comes crashing down upon you. But you know nothing of it. Well, imagine, though, uh, that someone were to, to join you under the tarpaulin uh, and uh, with a knife uh, were to spike a couple of holes so that some of the water just begins to trickle through. Uh, and now suddenly, little bits of water, uh, not the full torrent, little bits of water, coming through to bring you into awareness of the peril that you are in. And David was saying uh, from the previous passage that, that it is as if Jesus does that for us. As he comes and he teaches uh, and he speaks about his heavenly Father. Uh, as he tells parables that enable people to see the way in which they are not responding as they thought they were. 
uh, and all of that teaching. And in fact, Jesus himself uh, and his righteousness brings people to an awareness that they are not as they should be, that they have not responded to God as they should have. But of course now Jesus is going. So what will persuade the people now? Well, according to Jesus here, the Holy Spirit, as it were, continues the work of Jesus, continues, as it were, sort of cutting those holes in the tarpaulin uh, so that the water come through and so that the world might be convicted, proved wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, realize where they actually stand spiritually uh, before God. Has that been your experience? It, it certainly was mine as I look back um, and think about my encounter with the Christian faith uh, in my early 20s. Um, when I heard about the Christian faith um, in those days, um, as an, an unbeliever, um, I, was, um, I was an arrogant, um, smug, um, fairly self-righteous uh, young man in my early 20s. Uh, and as uh, these rather peculiar uh, Christian believers began to talk to me about the Christian faith, uh, my early um, weeks, months of encountering the Christian faith was full of sarcasm and ridicule and mockery. But despite all of that, the Holy Spirit set to work so that it wasn't me puzzling out the Christian faith. That wasn't what was going on. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit proving me to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And over a period of months, I realized that nothing that I thought was as I had thought. Sin, I discovered, was about ignoring Jesus. That was the really big deal. For if our Creator had entered into our world in the person of His Son, and I shrugged my shoulders and paid Him no attention, that really was a big deal. And the Holy Spirit enabled me to see that, even though it had seemed ridiculous to me at first. And the Holy Spirit proved me wrong about righteousness too. Truth be told, that wasn't hard. It didn't take much to show me that the most excellent person that I thought I was wasn't really as excellent as I wanted to pretend. And finally, the Holy Spirit proved me wrong about judgment by showing me that what I thought about Jesus and about his death was utterly mistaken. That I was wrong about what he said, wrong about what he'd done, wrong about what it meant. Just wrong. Now, do you see that that is a gracious work of the Holy Spirit in me? to prove me to be in the wrong. What a blessing to be brought to the place where you're able to repent. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just do that once, he goes on doing it. It's an enormous blessing when the Holy Spirit enables you and I to realize that we've got it wrong in a particular area of our life. Even once we are believers, the Holy Spirit presses that upon us, brings us to a realization, no, 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 I'm getting it wrong. And then you have the joy of repentance. You ever thought about repentance as a joy? It is a joy. 
to finally be able to realize that you've got something wrong and turn so you get back in the right direction again. It's such a crucial ministry. And it's what Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will do in our world. So the persecution we will face, uh, the witness we must uh, give, uh, and, uh, uh, and then the advocate uh, we will have, finally. Uh, the truth we will know. How that last paragraph from verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. I think crucial in this final paragraph to, to remember who it is um, in the first instance that Jesus is speaking to. Um, he's saying these words uh, to the disciples. So when he says, I have more to say to you, more than you can now bear, first and foremost, it's the disciples that he's talking about. Uh, those are the ones uh, to whom he has more to say. Those are the ones who couldn't bear to hear any more at that point. Uh, and those are the ones that he promises to guide into all the truth. So it'd be wrong for us to imagine that Jesus is promising some extraordinary sort of spiritual thought insertion um, so that in the age of the Spirit, every believer will miraculously know everything about everything. Um, it's sort of nice, sort of mad idea, but you, know, you and I both know that's not true. Um, if you do think you know everything about everything, then we'll have a little sit-down at the front afterwards, because um, I'd love to meet you. Now, he's speaking to the disciples and giving them particularly this promise. Why? Because they're the ones who have got to record the accounts of Jesus' life. They're the ones who've got to explain what Jesus' life and death and resurrection was all about. And at this point, they've got a clue, have they? You catch that again and again. Lots of references from John when he says, they didn't understand what he meant. But later, they did understand. Uh, again and again, you, you get that phrase cropping up um, in John's Gospel. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, a day is coming when this does make sense to them. The hope is the Holy Spirit makes it clear to them. And once he has made it clear to them, they are able to do what? They're able to record the accounts of Christ and write the letters uh, and books of the New Testament. And it is such a crucial thing that the whole of the, the, the Trinity uh, is at work to achieve it. Did you notice that? Because this truth belongs to the Father, but is shared with the Son, and is passed on by the Spirit. That's how determined God is uh, that we might know him. Two last thoughts before we finish. How do you think I felt um, when um, I went into the kitchen um, and found my little booklet of instructions? Do you, how do you think it was? Do, do, do you think I felt um, a, a little bit, well, I don't know, a little affronted that Beth should think 
that I should need such detailed instructions to care, care for three children for a few days. I mean, how hard can that be? Well, I, I might have pretended that I felt affronted, but the truth is, I was enormously grateful and greatly relieved that there, in my little booklet of instructions, I had all of the wisdom that I needed, all of the instructions, all of the information, everything that would equip me uh, to be able to care uh, for our three children over those few days. Because by arranging things as she did, it, it was, kind of, if I can put it like this, a, as if Beth, with all her child-caring brilliance, was there with me. Now, I know the analogy breaks down. Because what is being described here is so much more, isn't it? It's not as if God is with us. He is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He utterly equips us. If you're a Christian believer, God is with you by the person of the Holy Spirit. He has come to you. He is providing the power for you to live for him. When you testify, he is testifying with you. It's so liberating to know that he indwells us like that. Not only instructs and directs, but also empowers us to get his work done. It's worth speaking of Christ. It's worth living for Christ. It's worth testifying about Christ because the Holy Spirit takes what we do and energizes it to bring glory to our God. I notice that most of what Jesus says in this section is description. Telling us things that will happen. You will have an advocate. You will know all truth. You will be persecuted. The one place that that is different, the one place it turns to instruction, is when he says you must testify. You have to do it. Will we? Are we? Shall we? Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, how uh, wonderfully you have provided for us, how gracious uh, your love is uh, that you enter into uh, our very lives uh, by the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that our efforts to, to live for you, uh, our, um, our desire to bring you glory, um, all of that comes from you. Uh, and all of that is granted achievement uh, through you. Uh, Father, would we know the liberating power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, liberating us uh, to, uh, to live for you. Uh, and we pray particularly uh, that in, in a world that is increasingly hostile, uh, we would, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have uh, the courage that we need uh, 
to testify uh, of the gracious way in which you have dealt uh, with us uh, and the gracious promises you make uh, to anyone uh, who will turn to you in faith. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.